welcome to the C3 Camden podcast. For more information about our church, please visit www.c3camden.church. We are so thrilled that you're listening today and we hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. Um, just in, as Pastor Ron was talking about invitations, um, just before we get into the word today, I just wanted to say, I just felt, felt really moved to pray for you guys in your invitations that you are giving out to people in your world for Christmas Eve. I really want to encourage you. I've been kind of been saying this for a couple of weeks now. We had a week where we just ask God to reveal to us just people that he has in mind for us to reach out to. And maybe they haven't been to church in a little while. Maybe they've never been to church or, you know, maybe Christmas is the time to come. And we know that people come along to churches when they're invited, when they feel welcomed. So um, I've just been praying into those invitations um, and just for God to go before you. It's amazing. You know, sometimes we can feel so nervous about reaching out and inviting people. But I believe God's really been going ahead of you. He does that. He goes ahead of us. We don't have nothing to be nervous about. Just put the invitation out and you'll be surprised at people's hearts and what they'll say. They'll say, oh, I've been thinking about coming back to church or I've been thinking about where I could go for Christmas or, you know, thank you so much. I didn't know what to do. And so just be bold in your invitations. Um, put, put those out for the Christmas Eve service. Um, let people in your world know that you love them, want them to be with you on that day. We have been moving through our Advent themes again this year. We've had hope, we've had peace, we've had joy. And this week I'm going to be talking about love. Uh, but before I get into it, as Ali, how great was Ali's preaching last week? So good. So good. Um, but as Ali gave a little bit of a disclaimer before her message last week, I too feel like I need to actually do the same disclaimer when it comes to love. Um, I, like all of you, are on a a journey, on a discipleship journey when it comes to love. Um, And sometimes, by God's grace and by his strength, I'm kicking goals when it comes to loving people (laughs) and loving people well. Other days, I'm falling flat on my face when it comes to loving people. Um, I struggle to love well. I sometimes struggle to receive love. And like many of you, I'm sure, I've felt the sting and the disappointment and the rejection that comes from not feeling loved at times. So today is about journeying that together, um, just as, as it was about journeying joy together. Um, also, just as a general statement before we get stuck into it today, today we are going to be talking about some of those relationship uh, values or words that often get thrown around with relationships, things like self-sacrifice and forgiveness and putting preferences of others above your own. And, and they're kind of broad terms, but I just want to say right up front that I want to acknowledge that in some circles and in some experiences in your life, um, maybe some of those concepts have been distorted and they've been used to justify things like coercive control or emotional manipulation or even in some cases abusive behaviour. And I just want you to know that's never okay. It's never okay and that's not the way of Jesus. Um, and, And so I want you to hear that right from the beginning that if you feel like you might be in, in a situation like that where you feel like um, love just doesn't quite, a, quite fit with you in the way that I'm talking today, please reach out to somebody um, and get some support. We're here to support you. We're here to help link you up with the right support services just to help you in that because you deserve, you deserve that. You deserve to break free from that. 
Good, glad you agree. (laughs) All right, I want to call my message today, Disordered Loves. Disordered Loves. Because love is a funny concept, isn't it? It's a funny concept. I wonder how you would finish the sentence, love is. Have a think. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Love is. Yes. Who thought of love is a battlefield, like straight up? Or like, I was like, the first, when I was kind of thinking that, was that, um, that song, you know, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. That one, yeah. So there's lots of songs. There's heaps of songs about it. Um, but I wonder, well, how would you finish that sentence? Love is. It can seem like such this broad subject, yeah? We can say that we love our mum and we love pizza. Are they the same? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I should probably ask my sons. Um, does that make them the same? Is that the same kind of love? We can love football. We can love our cat. We can love dog videos. We can love a child and we can love God. Are they all the same? We can love cricket, yes. Maybe that we're talking about disordered loves today, so maybe that's... <laughs> no, not at all. Are they all equal loves? Are they all equal loves? You know, we can say that at this time of year, we, we recognise that in the birth of the baby Jesus, in birth of this baby, that love took on flesh. We've sung about it. We've sung about it today. Love took on flesh and dwelt among us in human form. Is that the same as, as loving life? Like, what, what, what's this love? What does that actually mean? What does it actually mean? Love gets, that word love gets thrown around in very shallow and very deep places. But what is love? Rather than it being some kind of abstract concept that we kind of throw out, what does love look like? I mean, you know, Pastor Ron would ask us that question through COVID all of the time. What does love look like? If you hear or a follower of Jesus or someone who calls himself a Christian, do you ever stop and wonder whether the same love that we see and experience in our everyday life, in our everyday comings and goings, is the same love or a different love to what we read about in Scripture? We've heard, you know, the, the verse, you know, the, the most important commandment in the, in the Bible that, that Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, love, love others as you love yourself. You know, the, the famous John 3.16 verse, you know, God so loved to the world that he sent his only son. Is it a case as what, you know, Pastor Ron said to us a couple of weeks ago, is it a case of this tale of two kingdoms? Again, is the love that is in the Bible the same love that we see and experience every day? Do these things look different? Should they look different? And I believe that, yes, they they do and they should look different. But how often do we stop and think about it? And we've got this opportunity here the week before Christmas to stop and think about this concept of love as it relates to God sending his son Jesus into our world. So to start to kind of paint this picture of what love is, what love looks like, I want to really let scripture start to paint the picture. So we're going to read some scripture together. The first one is from 1 John 4, um, verse 7 to 21. It's in the message version because I just love it. Love. There you go. I'm using even that. It says, My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other 
since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we were all once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us, a perfect love. This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as a saviour of the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continually in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well and we've embraced it heart and soul, this love that comes from God. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house. It becomes our home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is not one yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love, love and be loved. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my command, oh, sorry, wrong one. If anyone boasts, I love God and does go on writing, so go on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. He won't love the person he can see. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Now, I know that was a long scripture. There's a lot of love in there. (laughs) A lot of love in there. Another quick one. I promise this one's not as long. John 15, 9, which I just accidentally skipped to. It says, I loved you the way my father has loved me. This is Jesus speaking. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. Again, a lot of talk about love. John 13, 35, it says, Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. So in just those scriptures, I mean, there's like, I think I've read there's like 160 odd times just in the New Testament where the word love is, is used. These are just a few. So from those scriptures, it's clear, it's clear as mud, yeah? You kind of know, I'm glad you think so, Pastor Ron. I don't think it is clear as mud. It is in a way, but it still kind of seems this little bit abstract out here. I don't know. Does anyone feel like that? Like 
in a way, we hear these scriptures and, and then we're like, but what does it actually look like? What does that look like? It tells us a few things. It tells us that God doesn't just love, but he is love. That's the first thing we get from that, that God is love. Out of his nature, he has showed complete love towards us. It's out of this love that then we can love others and love him back. We can hear, see that from scriptures. Complete love is, is linked with obedience and trust and surrender for his love for us and following his ways. And Jesus said, this is the way that you love each other. This is how people will know that you actually follow me. So there's some things that probably are clear as mud in those scriptures. But if we're honest, I think still our understanding of how that works and what that looks like, it might still seem a little bit out there. You know, to get a greater understanding of it, I think it helps to know that the word love, what the word love meant to the people who were originally hearing these scriptures for the first time. Because we know these scriptures, when people heard them, it just changed their view of the world. It changed everything about the way they related to each other and about the way they did life. So how were they hearing these words? What did it mean to them? How did that... that I guess the love that Jesus was talking about distinguished from the other forms of love that they were experiencing in their every day. What made it so life-changing? You know, in the ancient Greek world, and you often hear us talking about this, you know, like, oh, back in the ancient Greek, but it's important to understand it in the context of where it came. Um, it, you know, in the ancient Greek world, the, the world, sorry, the word love... Um, I guess was way more sophisticated than the, way, than the word that we have for love in our English language. Um, they had a much more um, broad way of describing what love was and understanding what kind of love they were talking about. So they didn't have the, the issue of saying, I love my mum and I love pizza and not knowing which one was which and where it came from. The one word that we use to describe everything in, in, when we love anything, um, everything from loving chocolate to loving God, was actually at least five different words. At least. There's probably more. There's probably a couple more. But I just want to talk about five of them today. And, and that's the way that, in the way that they used to use them, that was really significant. So when we're thinking about looking through these words today, I want you to remember that each type of love that I talk about that was used in the Greek world, it had an ordered side, an ordered side. So that means an expression of love that comes from goodness, from a place of goodness, and a disordered side. So that would be an expression of love that comes from um, corruption of self, this kind of self-serving, um, and it might have been separated from goodness. So we're not talking about the opposite of love, we're talking about ordered love and disordered love. So the first word is epithumia. Can you say that? Epithumia. Epithumia. You can say this. I epithumia you. You could say that. Because in its ordered form, this first kind of love, in its ordered form, was a legitimate desire or having an affection towards or, or a fondness. It was, it was a liking love. So it's actually one that we use quite a lot. You can epithumia people, you can epithumia animals, or golf, or a hobby, or cricket, or life itself. 
you can epithumia someone that you actually don't have much connection with. Um, from a family member that you might see once a year through to a celebrity that you've never met. You can know a lot about somebody, but not necessarily have a real connection with them. It remains a bit of an impersonal love. So it's often the love we use or what is meant when we say we love things, like I love pizza or I love chocolate. We see a lot of epithumia on social media. <laughs> we have a button for it, the like button. I love that. We have a little heart that says, I epithumia that. Instead of hitting the love button, you should put that in the comments and see what happens. So we don't necessarily have a relationship with that, that dog video that we like, but it, we have an affection for it. It makes us feel good. We like it. it it's, it's funny or we, we like something. We, and we can all epithumia different things. So what I epithumia, Brian might not, and, and he might epithumia something else, and that's okay. That's how epithumia works. There's no real commitment or responsibility involved. In its disordered form, though, it can turn into a, an infatuation. We can see this in the celebrity world, yeah? How people can be infatuated with somebody they've never met and follow something and get obsessed on, with something on social media but never actually met a person or a thing or, or um, you know, just that they don't have a personal connection. It can turn into lust. It can turn into obsessive indulgence. These good things can make us feel good and they can fill a need that they never were designed to meet. It can lead to addictions and an avoidance of just those normal, mundane life duties because they don't make us feel very good. You know, if I say, well, I don't epithumia doing the dishes, I'm, like, I'm not going to do that today. It doesn't bring me epithumia. You know, like we can avoid the, the common mundane things of life and we can go away from the commitments that don't make us feel very good. It can, can also, we can start to use people as objects of pleasure rather than seeing their humanity and their, their value. So that's the first kind of love that, that they would have been familiar with. The second one is eros. Some of you would have heard this one. This is romantic love. In its ordered form, it's a good thing. It's connected with goodness. It combines thinking and feeling and mind and body and passion and reason. It gives us the butterflies on the inside. It's a desire for and a commitment to one person. It's what we, it's the kind of love when we talk about falling in love. You know, it's that feeling that we get. And it's the most common theme of most of the songs that you will hear at, on the radio. Um, but generally, Eros has a shelf life. This is what we talk about when we talk about the honeymoon phase. You know, like then, then people get married and they're all like lovey-dovey and you're like, oh, they're in the honeymoon phase. They'll soon learn. That's what they'll say, you know. It's kind of this thing that seems to have a bit of a shelf life and if we try to, um, you know, have it go forever, it lets us down. You know, it can let us down. So in its disordered form... When we see it as the only form of love, we can think, well, when I don't feel that anymore, I must have fallen out of love. Like, if that's what love is and I'm not feeling it, then I must have fallen out of it. Because in its purest form, it doesn't last on its own. This can lead to illicit relationships, 
And sometimes even um, that same infatuation, like treating people, or even the love itself, can kind of chase it down, you know, look for it everywhere. And, and that's almost like an idolatry, treating it as a god. It can be the excuse for not doing the right thing. You know, have you ever heard, like, love made me do it? Like it was just something stupid, you know? Like, oh, love made me do it. When we can see it as, as a force that's higher than ourselves, that somehow we can't resist, and, and it becomes the sole source of our personal and physical needs. So that's eros. We've got epithumia, and we've got eros. The third one is storge. Can you, like, storge, can you, like, it's just fun to say, say storge. It's just fun to say, I don't know why, but... So in its ordered sense, it's this belonging love, a belonging love. It's the kind of love we have for kinship or for family, somewhere where we feel like we belong, like, a, like family members or those that are in some kind of club together. In a sense, we almost have that storge love in a church. We kind of feel like, you know, we've had my home, my people. Like it's, it's like my people. That's where I feel like I'm connected. It's where sayings like, you know, you, can't choose your, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family come out of. It's this connection. We see that even if we might not like a sibling or a family member, but loving them is taken for granted and expected. You know, she's my sister, so I love her. It's just kind of the connection that makes the love happen. Or he'll always be my brother and I love him despite our differences. We see it at sporting matches, especially. It's this weird camaraderie that happens. You know, you could be sitting next to somebody you've never met, but you're wearing the same jersey as them, so suddenly they're your best friend, just based on the fact that you are part of something together. You know, they can, you can dance alongside them when you win and give them a shoulder to cry on when you lose. You might never see them again or never, you know, um, you've never met them, but it's this kind of love that draws you together. It's the kind of love that sticks up for younger siblings in the, in the playground or shows family pride or it's, it's the good feeling of any group that we belong to. It's a common bond. It feels like your tribe. You know, it's the good feeling that comes from that. And there's security in Storge. There can be this sense of feeling comfortable in its presence. That's in its ordered form. But in its disordered form, there can be this disdain or ungratefulness. Have you ever experienced that? Just because there's a familiarity that all of a sudden people think that they cannot treat you well just because they're familiar with you. <laughs> it happens a lot in family units. You're like, would you speak to someone else in your life like that? You know, you have that kind of, you know, that love's meant to be more than that. We can have this kind of taking for grantedness of our distorted storge. It's easy to miss people when we're connected like that as gifts from God. Um, and when we can not see them with their own humanity or not, we forget to put effort into showing love and appreciation for people who we've just kind of got this, um, this kinship, this family, this bond together without trying. So it's storge love. The next one is philia. It's friendship love, a friendship love. It's more than just having, you know, 500 followers on Instagram. It's a deep friendship love. It's affection. It's companionship. It's a love that in its ordered form has an openness that might be occupied with common interests or activities, mutual respect, trust, and often we have common personality traits with people. 
You'll hear people say when they're talking about this love, they just get me. You ever thought that? They just get me. And we choose this. It's, it's love that we choose. But in its disordered form, we can have manipulative relationships. There can be this one-upmanship or rivalry that happens. There can be cliques and exclusion that happens because of filia love in its disordered form. So all of these, all of these four things are legitimate types of love and they're good and they're healthy when they're connected to goodness. However, all of these loves, as I said, they're not self-sustaining on their own. They're not self-sustaining on their own. They wane over time and they're prone to falling into their disordered types. Interestingly, all of those scriptures that we read before does not mention one of these loves. None of these loves, even though the people who were listening to it would have been so familiar with these kind of love, this kind of love, not one of those scriptures mentions this kind of love. It was a new kind of love. The love that God is, the love that God has shown, the love that we're called to show each other, it was, the word was agape, love. You may have heard that before, agape. That's also fun to say. Say that one, agape, love. And it would have been quite unusual for the listeners to hear this word, agape, because it was around. It wasn't a, a distinctly Christian word. It was around. It was floating around in the time. But before its use in Christian narrative, it wasn't a very common word. It didn't get used very often. It seemed to kind of have this really vague and unattainable meaning. It was almost like scholars kind of think about why all of a sudden it kind of came onto the scene when, when Christianity became a thing. They said it's almost like the word before that time, it wasn't really relevant to everyday life. It was just unattainable. And if, if anything, it was seen as a bit of a, weak, a weakness. If you were seen to give agape love to someone, it was actually not a great thing. It was a weakness. And so it wasn't very commonly used because it wasn't something that was shown. Then along comes the Son of God, the Son of Man, who demonstrated agape love in this tangible reality, in the birth of a baby. It's this tangible reality. It was someone who made it accessible and attainable all of a sudden. In a world where it wasn't accessible, it wasn't attainable, all of a sudden, agape love became accessible and tangible and real for all who wanted it, not just those who deserved it, not just those who thought they had the social status to, to get it, but for all who wanted it. It became known as divine love, as a high, the highest love. It was the love that brings order to all of the other loves. It was the love that started to sustain all of the other loves. It was a love that connected the other loves to the ultimate goodness. It elevated these other loves. It corrected these other loves. It brought order to the disorder that these other loves had. So this agape love, it's a giving love, a complete love. It's a love that by choice, it could actually be safe to completely surrender to. 
Agape love was the steady intention of the will. So it was something that, that you walked out, that you tried to do, that you, you were in partnership with to bring the, some, another person's highest good. So it was something that they walked out to bring another person's highest good. And it didn't always mean doing what the other person wanted to do. Sometimes it can get kind of mixed up. It was like always putting someone else's preference above your own. It's just like, you know, when you say, oh, what do you want for dinner? And they're like, oh, Chinese. And you're like, oh, I don't want Chinese. But I'm going to put your preference above my own every time. It wasn't about that. It's not about that. It was wanting unselfishly, unselfishly God's highest good for someone else. Sometimes that meant putting aside, putting aside selfish desires. Sometimes that meant having a hard conversation to call out sin or dysfunction or to say, hey, I love you and I can see that this is destroying your life. This is not the God's highest for you. Doing it in love and grace and truth. It was this messy space of, of wanting the highest good for someone else. Sometimes it was an action that we feel, that we can feel agape love. Sometimes we don't. It's a choice that we make to step into it. It's not net, I mean, Sometimes we can hear agape love being described as an unconditional love. And I was thinking about that this week. And I thought, maybe I wouldn't describe it as unconditional love, but contra-conditional love. That means love that isn't necessarily deserved so it's not an unconditional kind of just whatever, I love you, whatever, but just a, and I know you don't deserve this love, but I'm going to give you love anyway. So there's a slight difference in that. In an ideal situation, in a totally ordered form, it's circular between us and God. God loves us so that we can love him well. God loves us so that we can love others well. And that there would be a safety in being loved by other people. Imagine if we walk around. This is what the kingdom of heaven, this is what Jesus wanted it to look like. That if we knew that in this community, if everyone's committed to agape love, there's safety in that. Not just in giving it, but in receiving it. Because we know that there's a safety in this circular motion of agape love. We know that that doesn't always happen because of our disordered side. But God is saying, I've given you this example. I've become love in flesh so you can see how it works. I'm going to demonstrate it for you, this love that I have for you that can then empower you to love others, empower you to love me, and provide this safety and this circular motion of the best, highest, most complete, ordered love is exactly what the kingdom of heaven is meant to look like on earth. If I can just invite the band back up. You know, I think sometimes we can think of this agape love as only the love of God, but it actually has a disordered form. It has a disordered form. The Bible actually talks about it. It often calls it a love for the darkness, agape for the darkness. And that's when Jesus is describing complete and surrendered, willful disconnection from all goodness. We can have a complete connection with goodness. We can surrender to it. We can see it as the source of everything we are. Or we can have a willful disconnection and love for the darkness. So I wonder, church tonight, I guess my question to you, 
is what does agape love look like in your life? And I want to read from 1 Corinthians 13. It's a really common passage. You might have heard it at weddings. Because it answers this question. It tells us what agape is. It says, If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to give the gift of prophecy with profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but I've never learned to love, that I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give everything away, everything that I owned away to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievement or inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame or in disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honour. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offence. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Here was this beautiful passage that explained this is what agape love looks like everyone (laughs) it was first given by God to us and he is the source he doesn't just love us he is love he is this agape love the love that brings order and connection to goodness and that takes our disordered loves and bring them brings them back into his intention for creation Through the birth of this baby at Christmas, God has given us this demonstration of His very nature, this this complete agape love. And church, He's inviting us not just to receive Him in His agape love, but for us to love each other in that same way. And who knows, we can't do that on our own. It might last for a little while. I'm good at this for about three hours, maybe, on a good day. But I can't do it without God. I can't do it without coming back to the source of love and saying, God, too quickly, without even thinking about it, I've crossed over into disordered love, a love that's about me or a love that's just too hard or a love that's inconvenient. And I don't want to be in that, but God, I want to come back to your ordered love, your agape love, you as the sustainer and the source of all goodness. I want you to sustain my love. I want you to help me persevere in that, in that love. So I'm just going to pop up a list, a bit of a picture. I just want to invite us just into a moment of reflection. We're going to have a look at that picture to see what sticks out to you. Where might you need your love reordered this Advent? Where might you need your love reordered? 
Lisa Advent. Where have you been trying to sustain love, even in the most well-intended fashion, in your own strength? Do you notice the signs of disordered love in your own life? This Christmas, do you have a relationship that needs mending? Do you have a conversation that needs to be had that you've been avoiding? Do you need to forgive or to ask for forgiveness? Are you struggling with jealousy or feeling like you need to be seen and appreciated and validated this Christmas? You're feeling a bit like no one sees you. Are you struggling with offence or irritation? Are you delighting in something or desiring something that you know is not God's best for you? It's not God's highest for you. But at the moment, it feels like it's meeting a need and you kind of, if you're honest with yourself, you think, if I give that thing up, I don't know if God can make me feel that way. There's a bit of a mistrust there. Are you struggling with feeling critical or judgmental? Are you struggling with pride or needing to be right or for others to be responsible for your happiness? Are you struggling to consider the needs of others because if you're honest, you're just so tired, you're just so overwhelmed and you're just keeping your head above water yourself to to not necessarily have to think about others in your world. Church, I just want to invite you to stand where you are. Holy Spirit, just search our hearts. Just search our hearts. Show us where our love is disordered. Not in a way that brings shame, not in a way that makes us feel like a terrible person, but Holy Spirit, bring a conviction of where our love is disordered and and to hear your invitation to come back to an ordered love, to bring that and to surrender back to you in that place. Holy Spirit, show us where we've made something more important than you. Show us where we've been trying to sustain ourselves. We've been trying to sustain our love in goodness without surrendering them to you. Now, church, I'm going to ask you just before we sing this last song together, I'm actually going to ask you to participate in something pretty brave. You know, if the Holy Spirit is highlighting something to you, just an area of disordered love, and I don't want you to feel like you're the only one, because I know every single one of us, myself included, has something in our life where our loves are just a little bit disordered and we need to come back to God. But I'm going to ask you to do something brave. In a moment, I'm going to get you just to come to the front and just let the Holy Spirit minister His agape love to you afresh. So this isn't a place where you're going to come and say, God, I'm bringing to you this specific situation or I want this specific love to be reordered. It's just a place of coming and saying, God, before any of that, I need to come back to the source of love. I need to come back to your agape love because I can't walk another step in love without coming back and being loved by you first. You know, and there's nothing magical about coming forward at church. It's not going to, you know, there's nothing, no magic in it. But there is something about taking a step. You know, agape love is about choice and about stepping into it. And you might feel it, you might not. But agape love is doing it anyway. And so there's something about coming forward, about just making that step 
and putting ourselves in a place where we're going, I'm going to make a tangible step to again surrender to your love, God, to surrender to your agape. Not so I can go out and solve all this stuff, but just to come back and for you to minister your love to me. So church, if that's you, I want you to just come stand up the front. Just come now before we sing. And I'm going to pray for us, not just you, us. (laughs) Just come forward. Don't be feeling... um, you know, like you're putting yourself out on display or anything like that. We've all got it. We've all got places of disordered love. Just come back and surrender that place to God. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you meet us right here. Right now, just minister your love to each one of our hearts. God, we surrender our disordered love back to your kingship back to you as our Lord, bringing it back to say, God, you were the one who showed us agape love in the first place. You are its source. You are its life. You are its sustainer. You are the one who helps us persevere in agape love. God, we cannot do this without you. And we are sorry that at times we have tried. But right now, God, we want to surrender that back to you. Show us, minister your agape love to our hearts as we sing together as we sing about your reckless love for us, God. A love that just reached beyond any barrier. A love that that reached out of heaven itself and brought heaven to earth because you loved us so much, God. Thank you, God. Just minister your love to us so that we can go out from this place and love in a new, fresh way, a new, empowered way to show agape love to the people around us, God. But first, we want to come to you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing together, church. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our church. We pray that you feel empowered by what you've heard today. We hope that you can stay connected by following us online. You can find us at C3 Camden on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube or visit our website at www.c3camden.church. You always will be.